Well, it's, a, it's an awesome privilege to be here and to minister into this context. And I really, really have expectation that God's going to break through in some of our lives. Um, just the way that God set up this evening um, with the worship, with some of the words that came through. One of the words that came through um, outside while we were praying was emancipation. And I believe God wants to set people free tonight from bondage, from the power of other, from somebody controlling their lives. God wants to set people free. And then I would just like to thank that young lady that gave the testimony up here. Uh, thank you for being brave. Um, because without knowing it, I think you have paved the way that others can be set free tonight. Um, often we, we think, how can I say something that deep or something that personal? Um, we don't realize how God uses those testimonies to, to change the lives of others. So, yeah. Uh, we're going to read a portion of scripture in Second Samuel. Second Samuel 21, from verse 1. So I'm not sure how to do this because it's quite a lengthy. I'll, I'll just read the portion and then we'll, we'll go through it. So for tonight, um, I really felt that this will be a prophetic word for specific people. So if, if you say, like Ryan said, this don't apply to me, it most probably does. So I'm not going to preach it here as such. I'm going to read the word. I've got this thing where I, I love to pour over the word. And then I allow the word to pour over me. And I would suggest to you allow that tonight. That the word of God pour over you. And that the word of God will bring breakthrough. I have a picture of people sitting at the feet of Jesus tonight. And and. They are the alabaster boxes that are going to be broken, op uh, broken open. And you might feel that you're in pieces, but when God's done with you, the fragrance that's going to come out of you. That lady's story was told years afterwards, up till today. And the fragrance that's going to come out of you once, you're not broken because somebody wants to break you, but you're broken because you came to the feet of Jesus. I can't, I can't wait to see what God's about to do in lives tonight. So be open for whatever God wants to do. He's going to press on some nerves. He's going to touch very touchy areas in your life. But I, I love the prophetic word that Ryan brought and said, don't, don't kick against Clarence, please. Don't kick Clarence. <laughs> it's the word. I was so relieved when he said that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So... It says here in Second uh, Samuel chapter 1, now there was a famine. Yeah, I think maybe I'll do this. So I'm going to read portions and then I'll just break that open because otherwise we, we're not going to get through that tonight. It says here, now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. We're just going to pause there for a moment. The, the topic I'd like to speak on is the consequences of breaking covenant. And sometimes we don't realize, we feel that covenant is only this thing that God has with us. But covenant in its simplest form, broken down, is, 
if you've given your word and you just go back on your word, you've broken covenant. And what's even more serious than, than breaking covenant is not committing to covenant when you should. Not committing at all. And those are the two areas that God's going to maybe zone in on tonight. And, and here's the thing. There was a famine in the land for three years. Year after year. And I think that specifically speaks to somebody here tonight. There's, there's a spiritual famine. There's no growth. There's no fruit. There's no forward movement. You're stuck in a rut and you don't know what. It, it ends up looking like you've got financial trouble. It ends up looking like you're not getting promoted at work. It ends up looking like you're not, get, you're not lasting in relationships. But in the end, it's actually a spiritual famine. And the problem is, David only sought the face of the Lord after three years. And maybe that's exactly where your problem lies. You've, you've, you've been through this famine year after year, and you haven't sought the face of the Lord. Because we try and figure out life by ourselves. But I tell you, the maker of life, he's the one that we're supposed to go to. He knows exactly how we work. And if I think about Jonah... When he was on that boat and there was trouble, after three days, after three days in the belly of the fish, when the last thing that he could do was to pray, then he prayed. And that's typical of us. When, when there's no other way out, we go to the only way out, and that's prayer. And tonight I want to, I want to encourage you, it, don't wait any longer. There's no other way to get out of where you're at but to turn to God. The other thing that, that I just want to throw out there, it's free of charge, you don't have to pay me for that, um, is that when the people on the boat needed to know what the problem was, they cost lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. So we I grew up, we I grew up in the community, we I grew up, uh, we would have thought, we would have said something like this. The problem is he main and need. The problem is Jonah. <laughs> and the problem was Jonah. And they identified the problem. And then the scripture says, but they rode harder. And the storm became more fierce. Because identifying the problem is not enough. You've got to deal with the problem. And often we will say, I know this is the problem. I know I'm getting it wrong here. But you're not dealing with the problem. And the storm will get worse. The wind will pick up until you take Jonah and cast Jonah overboard. And tonight I think it's that place that you're at. Where God wants you to deal, to, to identify the problem and deal with the problem. And so that the famine in the land can stop. It says here, David saw the face of the Lord, um, uh, and the Lord said, the Lord said. And as I read that, I felt I was, my mind was drawn to that, that clip in, in that movie, A Few Good Men, where was it Jack Nicholas who said, you want the truth? You can't handle the truth. 
Now, now that's actually the problem here is that we don't pray because we don't ask God what the problem or the remedy is because we can't handle the truth. We do not want to obey the truth because we're scared that he's going to put his finger on that very thing that we do not want to sacrifice. That very thing that we don't want to break ties with. That very thing that we don't want to give up. And maybe I shouldn't call it a thing, I should call it him or her. Because some of us are in relationships that we should never have been in. And today we're sitting here, broken people. People who are hurting. Because we entered into covenant that we should never have entered into. And here we find that David, in the end, when he sought God, God said to him something that I'm sure he actually didn't want to hear. God said to him, the problem is, there's blood guilt on Saul and, his, and on his house because he put the Gibeonites to death. I tell you, and this is where the covenant comes in. Often the problem that we're facing in life is a glaring problem. But we will ignore it year after year. But tonight, if, if you really want to be emancipated, if you want to be set free, maybe when the prophetic word came and said, um, let's lift our eyes because he is the one who can set us free. Maybe you found it difficult to lift your eyes because the weight of what you're going through is drawing you down. Maybe it was hard for you then specifically for you, you need to apply this word where you come to God, seek his face, and then act upon what he tells you. So, so what does that refer to the blood guilt on, on uh, Saul and on his house? And that you'll find in, jo in Joshua chapter 9. I'm just going to refer you to that so you can see what it is because I think it's going to be helpful to learn from that. So in Joshua chapter 9, I'll just give you the main story so that you can, we, we don't have enough time to go in all of that. But in Joshua chapter 9, what happens is Joshua has just come off all the main victories that he, that, that, that he had. He became leader and he had victory after victory. And every time he faced a new enemy, he would seek the face of God. Every time he faced a new enemy, he would ask God, what do I do next? How do I approach this? How do I take the city of Jericho? By walking around it. That's not the kind of thing we'd normally do. We'd want to fight for the city. God says walk around it. So every, every victory he had was he sought the face of the Lord. And then as they moved on, they come across these people who look like they've been on the road for a long time. And they are the Gibeonites. They actually just live three days away from where they met Joshua. Three days. And yet they, they looked as if they were on the road a long time because they took the, do the old donkeys, they took the old sandals, they took the old clothes, they even took old bread and put it in the bag so that they can give the impression that they have been on the road for a long time. And in that, they deceived Joshua. Now, I want to, in, in, in the years, I, I've, this year, June the 14th, I will be saved 51 years. It's, it's, it's a long time. It's longer than some of you are alive. So I've seen a few things. And you know what? Often the church or the individual 
Often we have been taken down not by attack, but by the cunning of mankind, by deception. Often we, we want to fight the enemy on the battleground, but we fall for deception. And that was what Joshua did here. He was this mighty man of valor. He was this guy who led Israel. And he didn't fall in war. He fell for deception. And as we sit here, I would like us to do a spiritual audit on our lives to see where have we compromised. Where have we allowed the Gibeonites to lie to us? To pretend that they are who they were not. So here's the thing. As they approach Joshua, the first thing they said, uh, we, we heard of you. Please make a covenant with us. I mean, they didn't even know one another. They haven't sat down at a meal. They want to make covenant. And a few, li- f- few verses further down, they say, but please make covenant with us. And they, they're almost force, forcing Joshua into making a covenant without thinking about it. And they got that right. So here's the thing, please. Many, many people that we come across, myself and wife do, does a lot of counseling of couples, uh, married couples, and many things that people battle with in their marriages became a problem because of covenants they had before they were married. Because of covenants that they rushed into without thinking about it. And it says here, the verse I want to draw your attention to is verse 14 of Joshua 9. It says, So the men took some of their provisions, that's the provision of the Gibeonites, but they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Now this is the people of the Lord. This is the people on their way to, the, to, to, to inherit what God has for them. Joshua is this leader that replaced Moses and it said they did not take counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. He rushed into covenant. And 400 years later, we have a problem in 2 Samuel 21. What do we learn from this? That when we rush into, into covenant, there's normally regret that follows that. Now for some of us, I see a lot of young people here. Verse 14 is very, very sort of, uh, it's a modern day problem. Because what, what these people did, they, they presented themselves in a certain way. And, and, and Joshua and his men made covenant based on how they presented. So I want to bring that into a modern day language. Don't make covenant based on looks. Some people fall in love with looks. And then they want to marry looks. And once they're married to looks, then character comes out. And the character flaws come out. But the problem is once you've made covenant, you can't go back on your word even if you made the covenant for the wrong reason. I have I've, I've done counseling with people that said, yeah, but, he, but he, was, he was tall and thin when I married him. Now he's tall and fat. If you're married to tall and fat, that's who you're married to. 
Yeah, but he was energetic and he used to run and she used to be a cyclist and she used to... Uh, you see, you can't make covenant on what you see. You've got to seek God. And, and too many relationships are built on what we see. God is speaking to people here about relationships. It's, it's a God thing. It's not meant to be a flesh thing. You see, people say, meet one another and they say there's chemistry. You know that atomic bombs are chemical <laughs> combinations? <laughs> chemistry doesn't mean it's a good thing. It could blow up after a while. And God is challenging his people to come to a place, to come to a place where we seek God even before we start relationships. When we see God before we sign business deals. When we see God before we decide who our next business partner is going to be. When we see God before we move to another town. When we see God before we make another move in business because what might seem to be a path that will give us promotion might be the end of your career. We need to be a people that seek the face of God. And so we have people amongst us. We know people. We might have people in this room. And you've made covenant. You've given your word. But for the wrong reason. You've given your word based on deception. And, and you might claim that's ungodly covenant. But if we read in, in, if we read in verse 18... It says, but the people of Israel did not attack them. They kept their word. And it, then later it says, then all the congregation murmured against the elders. They murmured. They said, we, don't, we made this covenant based on looks, but we don't like it anymore. We don't like the look of the people anymore. We want to break the covenant. And then uh, they, the elders reply, verse 19, we have sworn to them by the Lord. Therefore, we cannot break the covenant. And people are battling today because they, they want church leaders to give them a way out of the covenant that they've made for the wrong reasons. And then when, when church leadership doesn't agree, uh, we become the bad guys. Now this covenant is a serious thing. Why am I talking about this? Because marriage is a covenant that God instituted. And there's no shortcut. You see, people think, especially amongst our young people, people think that the shortcut is then don't get married. That is slapping God in the face. Because, because don't get married is not what God, God didn't give that option. Like, you can live together because then you don't break the covenant. No, no. Not committing to the covenant but while you're enjoying the fruit of the covenant is as bad as breaking the covenant. You see, the problem is we want to eat of the fruit of the covenant without committing to the covenant and we call that freedom of expression. No, the Bible calls that sin. The word has been found already. You don't need to find another word to explain or give a reason why you don't want to uh, uh, commit to covenant or why you want to break covenant. There is a word for that. It's in the Bible. It's called sin. 
And if we believe in the word of God, then that's what we need to submit our lives to. Is it normally this quiet in this church? <laughs> so, so, so even if we are disgruntled, we're not happy with the covenant in place. Once it's there, it's a permanent thing. Because here, from, from where I'm reading in Joshua 9, it's 400 years to 2 Samuel 21. And there's famine in the land because in between, Saul has gone, the blood, the blood guilt on his hand, he has gone and he has killed the Gibeonites. He broke the covenant. And because of that, now David is sitting trying to lead a nation and there's no food for them. There's a nation perishing because of one man breaking a covenant that another man should never have made. Dads, that puts an awesome responsibility on us, or, or great responsibility on us, that we need to make the right decisions to what we commit, and we, we need to make the right decisions what we will not, when we will not break our word. I used to, grow, I used to when my kids grew up, um, um, I used to say, my no is my no, and my yes is maybe. That should never be true of us. No is no. Yes is yes. You should be able to count on my word. Because my word is my covenant. So dads, we have a great responsibility before God to what we say yes to and what we say no to. Because years later, people might suffer because of our decision. If you think about it, back to Jonah on that boat. What happened before they threw Jonah overboard? People start started throwing their belongings overboard. So other people lost their belongings because of ba a bad decision Jonah made. Other people lost their livelihoods. Here we find 400 years after a bad decision, people are going to lose their lives because somebody broke covenant. So yeah, it says, although the people of Israel had sworn, I'm back in um, um, 2 Samuel 21, uh, although the people of Israel sworn peace uh, to spare them, Saul sought to strike them down in the zeal for his people, uh, the people of Israel and Judah. So Saul thought he had an awesome reason, a great reason for, killing, for breaking covenant. To save his people. To save the nation. But it was wrong in the eyes of God. There's never a good enough reason actually. To break covenant. And that's why it's so, it's so amazing that, that we have the, uh, as we used to sing in the old hymn books that we, because I'm, I've come a long way from, from hymn books to Ovids. Um, so, so we used to sing blessed assurance. Jesus is mine. Why could we sing that? Because our God is a covenant keeping God. We have the blessed assurance that he will keep his end of the bargain. That's the kind of God it is. He is. He is faithful. That's his character. That's who he is. It's not just his character. It's who he is. He is faithful. He's a covenant-keeping God. So, here we go. We know, I can see really we're not going to get through all this. So, let's try and see where I can have a bit of a shortcut. It says here, And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And how shall I make atonement? that you may bless the heritage of the Lord. Now, atonement, 
it's a very important word there because atonement in the Old Testament is about covering the sin. Atonement in the New Testament is about taking away the sin permanently. So although David was going to make atonement for us, if there is sin that, that is keeping us back, the good news is Jesus made atonement and he can take the sin away forever. But here's the thing. The blood of Jesus does not cover sin that we will not uncover. We all plead, in tough times we plead the blood of Jesus. It's a, it's a cliche that Christians started, we plead the blood of Jesus. But the blood of Jesus does not cover sin that we will not uncover. Or in other words, that we will not repent of. So if there's, if there's mistakes in your life, God is faithful to restore. God is faithful to forgive. But we need to get to a place tonight where we say, this far and no further, Lord, I'm repenting of this sin. I'm repenting. Why? Because, you know what, sometimes stuff that we have done in the past, and, and this is a fact, that when we do wrong, as in this case, we'll find that curses run in bloodlines. Here we have generations later, and the, the curse is still effective. So curses run in bloodlines, but salvation doesn't. It's a personal thing. You've got to repent yourself. So tonight, God can break the curse, but you need to repent. God can break the past. He can, he can obliterate the past. He can forgive the past. But we need to deal with that issue. And it says here that you might bless the heritage of the Lord. Some of us are walking in a, in a space where we are not blessed. Because there are bondage, that emancipation thing, there is bondage of the past. That's holding us back. That's tying us down. So this might seem like a very harsh word. That's going to come now. So as David asked the people, what can we do for you? They say, this is what you'll do for us. Verse 5. They said to the king, the man who consumed us and, pl and planned to destroy us, so that we shall have no place in, the territory, in all the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us so that we may hang them before the Lord in Gibeath of Saul, this chosen of the Lord, and the king said, I will give them. We find that now seven young men, I mean, they feel like little red riding it in the story of the three bears. They had nothing to do with this. They weren't even in that story. And they are going to pay with their lives. Because a man made a, made a covenant he should never have made. And another man broke the covenant, a covenant that he never should have broken. And now seven young men are going to lose their lives. And, and before we, we criticize the Gibeonites, they, they were actually very gracious in the act. Because when you made atonement in the old days, when you, when you had to make a right... At one month, atonement is to make make at one again to 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 break that barrier. At one month, that may be the easiest way of remembering it. To make atonement, you had to. If they demanded somebody to die 
in, in, in the place of who they lost, then the person giving up their family member would have to kill them themselves. Here they said, not to put the pressure on you, David, we will do it. So you didn't have any, have any guilt or you didn't have any regret. I, want, I'm, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm painting a very dark picture here, but I want to show you the consequences of breaking covenant. It's a serious thing. Sin is an ugly thing. Sin is a nasty thing, and we cannot say we live for Jesus and we, we, we allow sin in our lives on every day. We, do, we, do we make mistakes? Yes, I mean, I've sinned once this year, and I, mean, I feel horrible about it. <laughs> Twice, this, just the second time now. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> but we cannot tolerate sin and say we love Jesus. If we love Jesus, there will be an adjustment in our lives, the way we present how we serve him. So, I, I want to come to verse 8. The, the king took two sons of Rispa. Now, Rispa was a concubine of Saul. She was one of the couple of hundred wives. And she had to give two of her sons that had nothing to do with the story. The other lady, however, it says, um, and, and five sons of Merib. Now, now, that was Saul's eldest daughter. And this could be a case of lover's revenge. Because she was offered, she was promised to David, when, and he was going to marry her. And then as he went to war and came back, Saul gave her to somebody else. And he, she married somebody else. And then he, he gave, Saul gave David Michael. So, 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 and then he chooses her kids to pay the price. So it could be a bit of a case of lover's revenge here. But, but the point is, seven young men paying the price of a father who was arrogant. And for some other reason, God's Holy Spirit is laying this on me right now. Saul and Jonathan was killed in a very untimely manner. Never, nobody expected it. And the death or spiritual death of an earthly father, the untimely spiritual death or departure of an earthly father can ca cause this kind of devastation. So dad, wherever you are in this building, whoever's going to listen to this somewhere this week, if you have contemplated an untimely departure from your family, whatever that might look like, think about the consequences. Think about the consequences. People's lives will be destroyed. I pray that you will turn to God. That you will seek counsel with God and not follow your own your own idea or your own thought that this is the best for my family. It's not. It's not. We need to seek counsel from God. So Rispa, and this is where the better part of the Mother's Day message come in. Didn't forget it was Mother's Day. Rispa, it says in verse 10, 
So I'm just cutting out a lot. I, I, I will not be able to go into everything. But Risper, it says here, so I'm not going to speak to very specific moms. Other people here might not know it, but life hasn't been easy for you. You might have had to, you might not have had to sacrifice sons being crucified, but you and your children might have been through very difficult times. And it might not be of anything, that any wrong that you have done. It could be because of some mistake some father has made. God wants to, wants to encourage you tonight. Your faith, your faith can make a difference. Not compromising, not giving up can make a difference. Because I'm jumping ahead, but I just want to make this point that when David saw this lady's commitment, he did something he could have done three years ago, but he didn't do it. But based on her actions, the king moved and did something for the people. You see, we often get it wrong. We don't, we don't, try and, we don't do stuff that will move others. We do stuff that manipulates others. And manipulation doesn't work. It might work for a short period. But if that has been your angle, I need to manipulate my, my way through life, then God's saying, look at Rispa. She's been faithful. She lost her two sons. And what happened was they crucified these two, two sons with the other five sons. But, but it wasn't just as a punishment. It was as a sacrifice so that the harvest could come again. Their lives were sacrificed it was, because if it was just a punishment, they had to be removed from the cross that same day after they died. But they remained on that cross until the rain fell on their dead bodies. And all that while, their mother was sitting there, not moving, not compromising, seeking the face of God. So I don't know what, what difficult thing you're going through, but I'm going to read verse 10 to you. It says this. Then Rispa, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until the rain fell upon them from the heavens. The key is there. She found herself on the rock. You see, if you're going through a difficult time and, 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 and you're in the mud, you're going to tread mud. But the example here is, Mom, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how difficult life is and I don't know how, what curveballs life has thrown you. But you need to find yourself on the rock, Christ Jesus. You need to place yourself there and you, will go, you, will, you might have to go through that whole season of praying and mourning. But I need to read this word to you. It says, it says here, she was found herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until the rain fell. This is my word to you tonight. It will rain again. It's going to rain. God's going to honor your commitment and it's going to rain. It says, it says that last verse, it says um, verse 14 says the last part of verse 14 and they did all the king commanded and after that God responded to the plea of the land God responds to the faithfulness of his people the prayers of the faithful 
availeth much. So you might, I, I, I don't have a message that says that, that the difficult times will disappear. But there are mothers in this place and you've, you've persevered. You have held on and, and at times you might have held on uh, uh, as, as we would say where I grew up, a bit fast with the Anna Usutana. It's that hard. It's that hard that, that your own teeth, just there's nothing left. You need to borrow some and just bite fast. But it's going to rain again. And if we prepare to come before God, if we prepare to come before God and maybe repent of, of sins that we've committed, because there's two kinds of sins, and I, I will end with this. Uh, there's two kinds of sins. Sins that we have committed and sins that have been committed towards us. The one we need to repent of, the ones that we've committed, and sins that we have been committed against us, we need to forgive. And before we can ask for forgiveness, even in the very basic prayer that Jesus taught his disciples forgive us our sins as we forgive others their trespasses and just underneath that prayer in a verse or two below that prayer in Matthew it says if you do not forgive others your heavenly father will not forgive you and maybe you have been repenting of sin and you're not getting breakthrough it's because you haven't forgiven sin that has been committed against you. Yeah, but they didn't ask for forgiveness. That's their problem. Tonight, God wants you to deal with sin. You might have to forgive sin, or you might have to repent of sin. And the word of God says, and the rain fell again. There's going to be a new harvest. There's going to be new fruit. But the past needs to be dealt with. In which way? It says here, I'll read this last scripture. And David went, verse 12, and took the bones of Saul and the bones of the son, his son Jonathan from the men of Jabez Gilead who had stolen them from the public square in Bethshan. Now these are lovely names if you're pregnant. Maybe... Uh, where the Philistines had, had hanged them, and the day the Philistines killed Saul on Gil Gilboa, and he brought them up from, the, from there, the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan, and they gathered the bones of those who were hanged, and they buried the bones of Saul and his son Jonathan in the land of Benjamin in Zillah, and in the tomb of Kish, his father. Here's the thing. We actually, we actually spoke about it. I didn't even think about it when we spoke about calling Lazarus out of the tomb. The picture there is this lady's commitment moved the king to open an old grave, to bring the bones to a place where they could be buried with dignity. And then almost according to the nation, Saul and Jonathan were laid to rest. 
And somewhere tonight in somebody's life, one or two old graves might need to be opened. And things might have to be laid to rest. To experience the, the, the new rain, we might have to deal like sinners, but I'm saying that there are some graves that we have pushed closed, and we hoped that the sand will cover the sin. Sand doesn't cover sin, only the blood of Jesus covers sin. Time does not cover sin. Just ignoring the problem long enough, it's not going to go away. It's beginning to rain. This morning as I woke up, I said to my wife, I just woke up with the most beautiful experience and, and actually now it feels to me this is what God is saying. I woke up having a dream that I was on the, on the verge to stand and preach when light snow started falling on me. I was in the open air, on a, in a parking area, starting to preach and just the finest snow just started coming down. And it, it was just so pure. In my dream, I was going, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And then she woke me up. <laughs> I really feel almost a song in my heart that says, it's beginning to rain. Tonight, in some of our lives, it's beginning to rain. But we need to let go and let God I just know God wants to work. So maybe I'm going to ask Ryan to, I know you've preached already this morning, but come here and you know your people. Why don't you just, just close this? Uh, I just know God wants to bring breakthrough. But may God, may God grant you the grace. Some, you sang, what's that line you sang about grace and mercy? That's what we need right now. Mercy and grace wash over us. Amen. Thank you, Clarence.